fourth watch starts now. Everybody, you're listening to the Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight's going to be an exploration of a wide array of supernatural topics that are sure to be thought-provoking. We'll be discussing some wild fallen angel and nephilim discoveries, as well as digging into some strange history and even looking into some declassified documents that you won't want to miss. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode Angel Artifacts, Chariots of Fire, and Nephilim Discoveries with special guest Kay Carswell of Deception Detection Radio. Well, it's Thursday again, and I am so excited to be back with you all, and we have got quite an adventure for everyone tonight. But real quick, things are going extremely well as we're strongly moving forward with Remnant Revolution and the Fourth Watch Ministry Fundraising. I just want to say thank you again to everyone who's been so sensitive and generous to give and further the good fight, and I pray that the Lord would multiply your gifts back unto each of you richly. If you're feeling led to help support this ministry, you can head on over to fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you can easily give by clicking on the PayPal donate button on the right side of the screen. This is a permanent link for any time you feel led to support the broadcast of the Fourth Watch Radio Ministries as we are growing and reaching more people. Now, I'm not going to keep saying this, but I want to mention Facebook one last time just in case you haven't heard me say this, but I really want everyone to get out of the practice of relying on Facebook and Facebook groups to hear the weekly shows. We've got the shows on all of our social media sites. We've made it extremely easy for you to utilize our main sites and resources, and there's a brand new show posted every Thursday at 11 a.m. on the 4th Watch Spreaker page. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com, Spreaker dot com. You can just search for the fourth watch you can go to the fourth watch blog spot page we've already mentioned the justin fall youtube channel you can subscribe for auto download in itunes or any podcast apps or you can easily just get the fourth watch app for your smartphones or mobile devices absolutely free all you got to do to get the app just search justin fall j-u-s-t-e-n-f-a-u-l-l in any of your app stores whether it's apple or android we've got apps for both I just have a feeling that Facebook is trending in that direction. It's going to make it harder and harder for real Christians to broadcast and share real news, and I don't want us to rely on that. Now, let's go ahead and dive right in because we have got so much to hit tonight. We're going to be discussing some really interesting discoveries and occurrences of the supernatural and paranormal nature, which means to Christians that we're dealing with spiritual topics at their core. We'll be looking at a mysterious 5,000-year-old flying craft, which is actually a flying temple. You heard that right. It is actually a flying temple UFO. And this craft is directly linked to the founder of one of the largest ancient UFO religions in the world. 
Zoroastrianism, which predates Islam in the Middle East and has proliferated boldly into the New Age movement and various occult religions. And the prophet who's believed to have owned this spacecraft or this flying temple is the prophet Zoroaster. And he's historically been recorded as being an angel-human hybrid or a son of a god, which we would know as a Nephilim, who traveled around in his spaceship temple. Now, I just wanted to lay some foundation on that before we go too deep into the coverage on the discovery. But also, before we bring Kay on, I want to cover an interesting discovery that just hit the global news waves over the last month, which took place in Russia. I want to hit this up front because it relates to another topic we'll be mentioning later in the show. There was a UK headline that read, Mystery of the Alien Skulls in Nazi Briefcase Found in Remote Mountain Woods. Now, this is pretty interesting because what we see here is these skulls, these amazing, unbelievably shaped giant skulls were found in Russia, and they were found almost two years ago, but they didn't get a lot of worldwide coverage because many people thought they were a hoax. Although these skulls were found two years ago, they're just now getting global coverage because recently there was new things discovered in the area. They found a Nazi briefcase and a German full-color map of the Adagia region made in 1941. But the interesting thing is the briefcase itself had an emblem on it. Many of you are familiar with the Nazi group the Ananerba, which was founded by Heinrich Himmler in 1935. And the interesting thing about this is their group was created to find evidence that the Aryan race had once ruled the entire globe. But it soon branched into occultism, paranormal research, pseudoscience, and even the study of UFOs and Star Wars-type weapon development due to Himmler's obsession with such topics. This was the group that went all around the world. You've even seen the group depicted in the Indiana Jones movies. But they would go all around the world to collect as many occult artifacts as they could for use in official government rituals. Because we know the Nazi government was heavily involved in satanic rituals and always trying to break the veil between the dimensions. But getting back to the skulls, they're now considered to be more validated because of the other things they're finding in the area to show that there was a lot of Nazi activity going on here. But it gets even deeper because they found a body of water underneath a cave, and the water was deemed as being living water. This is unbelievable. The Nazis began testing this water and found that it could be used to generate human blood plasma. Now, there's a lot of interesting things that came out of this research, but the first thing I want to point out is that these alleged skulls look nothing like the traditional Nephilim skulls or elongated skulls that we see all over the world. These indeed are unique. The fact that they don't have cranial cavities or movable jaws would give credence to the idea that they could have been unintelligent genetic hybrids, much like that of the gray alien species, which seem to be a biological race of created bodies for demonic purposes, such as bodies to be inhabited by demons. And the fact that there was an Ananerba briefcase and the Nazi paraphernalia found on the site adds more credence, in my opinion, to the potential of these being authentic skulls. And then we find out that the Nazis had found a supernatural or paranormal water source there, which produced what they call living water that could be used to generate human blood plasma for use in their eugenics experiments. Well, it seems like another demonic Nazi operation to me, and that gives more credence to the fact that these strange-shaped skulls are authentic, which the skulls found, if authentic, were some form of genetic alteration and hybridization. But we're not dealing with normal-looking skulls. This is what really gets my attention, ladies and gentlemen. The skulls look so strange. I mean, we're talking about a skull that looks like a mix between a Nephilim skull and a hammerhead shark. And then some of them are just outright undescribable. 
Now, we've got to go ahead and move on, but we'll definitely get back to an interesting point on the Nephilim skulls in just a little bit. But right now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and go to the line with my good friend, Kay Carswell of Deception Detection Radio Network. Kay, welcome back to The Fourth Watch. How are you tonight? Hey, Justin. I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me back on. Hi, everyone. Okay, it How is my. Oh, I'm good. It is my pleasure. And uh, wow, the last time you were on the Fourth Watch, we did an amazing show getting into the Alien Wars or the Angel Wars over America. And the show, I mean, it's had so many plays. The topic is one that always gets people's attention because people want to know what's really going on behind the alien agenda. But what we did was we broke down certain elements in American culture and American history, even in our lifetime, getting into the things that are taking place, going back to Eisenhower and the alien agreement. Some people call it the pact. But we we covered so much information in that show. And if you're listening right now and you have not heard the show, it's called Angel Wars in America. Definitely go back and check it out. It's on Spreaker. It's on the blog spot. And it's also on YouTube. So, man, Kay, that was awesome. Tonight, we're kind of picking up on a similar topic, but we're going to be talking about some really interesting attributes uh, that we're finding out as we dig deeper into the alien deception topic, how it relates mm-hmm. to spiritual warfare. We're going to be getting into the extra dimensional crafts or the UFOs that are showing up uh, at, at different types of the, these major events. You know, we've got all these major events that have happened through history where there's massive destruction, massive death. And these UFOs are showing up there as well. Uh, we've also been conditioned to the ideas of UFOs watching us like an eye in the sky. Um, and, and then we've got an amazing announcement to make uh, about an artist rendition of a, an elongated skull. And, and I don't want to get too far into that just yet because we're going to save that. But we've, we're also going to talk about JFK. We've got yeah. so much to cover tonight. I don't even know where to start. I mean, we've got, we've got <laughs> so much stuff to talk about. <laughs> it's exciting. When you start researching and looking at everything, and, and it's something that Gary Wayne says, and I just love it. We connect the dots. Oh, yeah. When you start to see those dots connect and that picture emerge, it is mind-blowing. You know, it's funny because I say connect the dots a lot, and Mary Callie used to give me a hard time. <laughs> She'd say, <laughs> I remember I was working on the computer one Thursday, and she texted me, and she was like, Dude, you said connect the dots like a hundred times. She was like, you got dots that are being connected within dots. <laughs> I think it's infectious. Oh, That's a great yeah. way to put it. It's very descriptive. It's, uh, it, it's a great thing to do, uh, connecting the dots. And tonight we're definitely going to be connecting some dots. Uh, why don't we go back in history first? Let's talk about this 5,000-year-old Vimana. Uh, there was some reports. Now, this is not a brand new story, but it's a story that has not been talked about too much. So we're going to be talking about a 5,000-year-old Vimana or a flying craft that was unearthed in Afghanistan. Uh, there's a lot of controversy that's surrounding this topic. I mean, this is this is nothing new. It's an older story, uh, like I said. But basically, it appears that in 2010, the U.S. military discovered this Vimana in an ancient cave in Afghanistan. According to the story, we removed the Vimana and we transported it back to the USA via Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. And the other documentation is saying, people people are saying that the research is showing that NASA has a research area right there near the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, which they were able to set up a, a little portable research lab 
to do testing on this thing. Also, some of the people who have responded back, uh, reported back on the issue, said that when people have looked around the cave, that they've discovered that this quote-unquote Vamana, this UFO, this spacecraft, belonged to someone known as the Prophet Zoroaster. It's funny because that religion, uh, Zoroastrianism, that goes back very far. It's, it's also practiced very much so today, even in the New Age movements. You can find books on this in the New Age bookstores. Uh, I, I don't recommend going into those places. But the thing about it is you're getting into even more conditioning. And there was actually a joke made about this in the Austin Powers movie with Dr. Evil, where he goes into this long spiel about his horrible childhood and how at one point as he grew up, he had a practicer of Zoroastrianism who shaved his genitals in a ritual. Now, you know, some of you are going to laugh when I say that, but really what it was, it was, it was being crept in to explain a ritual of Zoroastrianism right there in a the movie. And it was done in a comical way, but they slipped it in there. And if you look deeper, you're going to find out that there is so many connections to Zoroastrianism and Star Wars, uh, UFOs, aliens, all types of crazy, just crazy UFO religious talk. But yeah, Dr. Evil, he goes on his spiel and he tells everybody that a Zoroastrian practicer ritually shaved his genitals. Let's not forget we're dealing with a Hollywood that's run by people who believe in demons. They believe in false gods. They communicate with these spirits, with these alien entities. And they're just slipping it in there for you. So we're going to be talking about a 5,000-year-old Vamana or a flying craft that was unearthed in Afghanistan. And uh, why don't you go ahead and take us back there, Kay? Tell us what you found out about this. Well, the first thing I did when I heard the name Vamana, I wanted to see the meaning of it. And the meaning of that word is it's an Indian mythological chariot of the gods which I thought was really a fascinating description. And it was located in the Western world of Afghanistan. And they sent eight people there, eight U.S. military scientists, to see what, what it was. And they said that it was found in what they considered a time well, which would be what we would consider a cave, but a time well would be something that has been there for so many years, and it's not been touched by man since it was originally put there. And the soldiers, there were eight of them, and they were trying to remove it from the cave, and they never ended up with an ending to it. The eight scientists just totally disappeared. But I'd seen the videos and the pictures of it, and it, it almost reminds me of maybe not a modern day like right now, but a few years ago of one of our modern aircrafts, that there is no way that what has been designed today could have been put there 5,000 years ago. Whatever is there, it was originally placed there during that 5,000 year period way back then. And it is about 12 cubits, which we're taught that a cubit is from the fingertips to the elbow. And it also um, had four wheels. 
and it had what it considered blazing missiles, which I did not quite understand what that was. Now, wait a minute. Question here. Blazing mm-hmm. missiles. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, you've got a couple options here. Could it be Star Wars weapons, weapons of the future, weapons that are heavenly? I mean, we know that there was a war that took place in heaven. This is right out of the Bible. And we've often kind of had this romanticized vision of a war that took place in heaven between Satan, his fallen angels, and God and his holy angels. But really, it's not a bunch of angels that are Caucasian males with wings and swords. Uh, We're dealing with a heavenly war here that's probably hard for most people to wrap their heads around. And and I'll even, I'll raise my hand and say, I'm the first. I'm the first person Mm -hmm. that would have a hard time wrapping my head around that. But the more we're learning about these Star Wars weapons, these, these technologies and these crafts or these chariots, you know, we're learning more and more. So it's starting to make more sense. So could it be a weapon type of missile or could it be possibly something, uh, the exhaust, maybe something's getting blasted down in their propulsion system? Well, from what I could find out, and it was from ancient accounts that were found in what was called a Sanskrit epic called the Mahabharata, and what that had, I mean, this is very difficult for me to word, so please bear with me. No, it's okay. It's okay. This information is so powerful. Even if we have to go through it slowly, that's probably better for anyone because this is a lot to digest. And what's interesting, though, as soon as we get through this, we're going to now tie back into the scriptures when we're finished with this. As soon as we're done going through that's this, true. I'm going to tie back into the Bible because there's a lot of things coming to mind right out of scripture. So go ahead, take your time going through this. May, you know, uh, Some of these words may be difficult, but ladies and gentlemen, you might want to write some of this stuff down because you will definitely want to look into this. Almost definitely. And it is so fascinating. And the records from the Mahabharata um, showed that there were deadly weapons from that time period and that they operated via a circular, what looked like a reflector, and they were able to switch it on, believe it or not. When it's switched on, it it produces a shaft of light, and when they could focus it on a target, whatever they aimed it at, it became consumed with the power of whatever it was aiming at. So it was almost like an energy drainer. It was like a battery that's drained that you're looking at. They're draining that battery and all that power is going into this vehicle, which to me is so advanced. Well, okay. So when we get into Egypt and we have the pyramids, Mm -hmm. I remember seeing something on the Discovery Channel a few years back. And it was so interesting because they were talking about certain pyramids they believe are charging stations for UFOs because the way some of the chambers are built. And it basically was going to create a some type of a hydrogen-based power where water would flow down a channel, hydrogen would somehow get separated, and then there would be this natural fuel that could be used to power some of these flying crafts. But I tend to think, going back to the technology that the Nazis were using, I tend to go along the lines of a propulsion system that allows these things to operate. But we really don't know. And and really, we would be shooting ourselves in the foot if we tried to stand up and say, well, all UFOs are all powered the same way. Because that that's just, that's ridiculous. We don't know. Mm-hmm. This is historically documented in Indian literature. 
It is. And what is really amazing, well, interesting, too, is the fact that these eight men were sent there to find it. They uncovered it. They brought it out of that cave, but then they disappeared. Where did they go to? I mean, it is on video of their their trip into that time well and the things that they went through. It shows them with it, and then all of a sudden they're gone. Where did they go to? Yeah, there are certain technologies out there. I know that our government has a technology uh, that they're using. This has been on national television, and it's a technology where they can shoot a laser inside the ground, and it will cause the earth just to disintegrate. And they're able to use this technology to build underground bases and tunnels under the earth. And I don't remember when the technology came out, but there's technology out there that can just cause something to evaporate just like that. If it's carbon-based, it can cause it to evaporate. Sounds like H.G. Wells again, War of the Worlds. Remember the beams that came out of the spaceship? Exactly. And the people just evaporated in those beams. And all you saw were the outlines. Yeah. And so we're dealing with technologies that are ancient. That's one of the things that we really need to remember here. Now, somebody is going to say, well, this is great. It's come out of some Hindu literature, which as Christians, we can't put our trust in Hindu literature. And I'm right there with you. We are not Mm -hmm. going to the literature for doctrine. What we're doing is we're pulling it as a historical reference to what these other religions believed. And Kay and I are both on the same page that these religions of the world, all the religions of the world that are not Christ honoring. And and look, look, that's just one. Okay, there is but one religion that serves Jesus Christ, Yeshua. And, you know, some people say we're, we're Christians. Some say we're followers of Christ. But we are born again. That's what separates us from the other religions is that in Christ Amen. we are born again. What was old is made new. The old man dies. We are now new creatures in Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed unto that day of redemption. We are given our down payment unto salvation as soon as we accept Christ. Now, the interesting thing is, is that all these other religions of the world, no matter how good they may seem, because there's a lot of good people out there that are parts of these other religions. But what we find is that they all worship false gods. And we learn that the false gods are fallen angels and Nephilim. We're dealing with with these principalities, these watchers who were worshipped. Also, Nephilim were worshipped as demigods or the little gods, smaller gods. And so in the Hindu culture, there are so many of these gods, we can't even keep up with them all. So we're, we're dealing with another UFO religion here, a UFO religion. And if you get down to it, almost every false religion in the world at some point has had demonic interference in the creation. It's always gone back to some kind of a demon, some kind of a manifestation, or just a straight up fallen angel presenting themselves before the people. So this is not a long shot to say that the false religions of the world all have some kind of supernatural history if you dig deep enough. And you're going to find out that there are UFOs or chariots of the gods that have been recorded. So we're going to this simply as a historical reference. I want to make that very clear. But I want to take us to scripture real quick. A chariot of the gods. Now the word chariot, even if you go to the Hebrew, we're just dealing with a vehicle of sorts. But it's not an earthly vehicle. We're dealing with extra-dimensional vehicles because we're now dealing with gods with little g's. I want to make that very clear, okay? We're not going to get into that debate because most of you listening are Christians and most of you do follow the Bible. 
But what we see here, when we go to Second Kings, this is ironic because my pastor just talked about this on Sunday. And I mean, we've been planning on doing this show for what, two weeks now? Oh, yes, at least. So this is this is really falling right into place. This is just how God works, folks. But Second Kings chapter six, I'm just going to take you to verse 17 real quick. And we're dealing with Elisha, the prophet. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Okay, now we don't have time to go into this whole story right now. But what we were dealing with were angels, warrior angels. This was an angelic army that God had sent for protection. And what were their vehicles? We're told that there were horses and chariots of fire. And most people couldn't see them. He actually had to pray that the man's eyes be opened so that he could see. Now, I want to go further. We also see an interesting account of a heavenly horse as we get into the book of Yasher. Okay, the book of Yasher talks about Enoch, the prophet Enoch, was taken up on a horse. It says he was riding a horse and the horse took him on up to heaven. Now, the book of Yasher is quoted in our Bible. There's really not a lot of debate about the book of Yasher. There's a lot of debate about Enoch. We stand in, we, we both stand in agreement that Enoch is a very valid source for believers. But Yasher, there's really not a whole lot of debate about it. But it talks about a horse taking Enoch up into heaven. He rode this horse. All of his disciples were, were trying to follow him. And he says, look, you can't follow me where I'm going. He says, turn away. You can't go where I'm going. I'm going home. And this is the same Enoch that walked with the Lord and he didn't see death. So we also see a heavenly horse in that story from the book of Yasher. So what we see here, Second Kings 6.17, is chariots of fire and horses. And these are not normal horses and these are not normal Roman chariots. These are chariots of fire. Now, we have another account in 2 Kings. I'm going to take you back to chapter 2, verse 11. And this is interesting because we're dealing with how Elijah, not Elisha, but Elijah, we're dealing with how he was taken up into heaven. And I'm just going to read this. This is verse 11. It says, And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So what we're seeing here are two accounts in the scripture, horses of fire and chariots of fire, both mentioned. And this is actually a good thing here. These are of the Lord. These were sent from the Lord. So this is heavenly UFOs, if you really want to get down to modern terminology. And then we get over to the Hindu text, and they're talking about the chariots of the gods. And they've uncovered a 5,000-year-old chariot of the gods. But you know what was really interesting about this Vamana? When I'm, when I'm looking at it, not, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at an artist's rendition here, but when I look at this rendition, what's interesting is it kind of has elements that remind me of the Tower of Babel. It literally, I mean, it, it looks almost like a portable temple. Now, I don't know which, which, uh, which picture you found or you're looking at, Kay, um, but it's it's pretty pretty interesting looking picture. That was um, one of the definitions I had also found was that it was the top that sat on a pyramid. So that goes right along in with what you're saying, Justin. Well, it goes along with what people would describe a ziggurat to look like. 
And exactly. it's like the circular type shape. And I mean, really, people have been commenting on this and they say it's the craziest looking spacecraft they've ever seen because it goes totally against any ideas that we've had in the past. It's like a temple, uh, a mobile temple that could fly around. Uh, really, it has a very similar shape to the Tower of Babel, like I said. And then you'll also see some elements of it that have the pyramid feel. And a pyramid is not always a ziggurat. I mean, there's a slightly difference there. Someone's probably going to try to correct me for saying that, but you know we have our perfect shaped pyramids, and then we also have the ziggurats. They're just they, they've got some some similarities, but they've got some differences. But the picture of this thing just really kind of blows my mind. Um, the artist renditions are amazing because they're able to kind of show what it would have looked like in its prime. And it does look like so much to me like the Tower of Babel, and that would say a lot about it too. That whatever it was probably wasn't benevolent that had it. Well, okay, let's just let's just back up for a second. If God sends something down, a chariot of fire, horses of fire, a wheel within a wheel, he's not just going to leave it here for us to discover. I mean, it's it's in use. Even when there was the brazen serpent created, I'm sure everybody remembers the story of the Old Testament where the people were getting bitten by the poisonous snakes and they because it was a judgment. They were being judged for what they did wrong. But they had to go and touch this brazen serpent to be healed. And what's interesting is that that serpent, that that model that was made, the brazen serpent, became an idol. And I believe when stuff becomes idols like that, the Lord gets rid of it. I believe the Lord took the Ark of the Covenant. Some people are going to disagree with me because they get so excited about these uh, archaeological digs. Oh, we may have found the Ark of the Covenant. Well, I don't believe so. My personal opinion, and this is my opinion, but I believe the Ark of the Covenant was taken somewhere else. I believe it was translated by the Lord. And, and you know what? You don't have to agree with me, folks. That's just my opinion. It's not a dogmatic stance. But I don't believe that anything that God sends down for use, uh, as in a chariot of fire or a wheel within a wheel, I believe it's still in use. It's his. He owns it. He's not going to just abandon it in a cave somewhere. That's right. Now, I do want to kind of move us in. We've got so much to talk about, and I could just really go deeper into this this one story. Let's go ahead and move us into the JFK documents. Now, this was something that we were originally going to talk about on the last show we did together, but the information just disappeared uh, from my bank. I'm over here. I'm looking for it. I found the information, and I, I was able to talk to you about it. But then when I went to pull my sources, it had all just disappeared. I couldn't find any of the original sources that I had. So kind of a weird situation, but we've got right here before us the information. Now, the question that many people are asking is, was JFK killed because of his interest in aliens? Or was it more to do with the fact that he was going to expose the secret societies? Well, there's a secret memo that's been declassified. Actually, there's a couple memos that have been declassified showing that Kennedy had demanded that UFO files be released 10 days before his death. Exactly. So what and we isn't that strange? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there was an uncovered letter that was written by JFK to the head of the CIA, and it's showing that the president had demanded to be shown what's called highly confidential documents about UFOs. He literally demanded these highly confidential documents 10 days before his assassination. Okay, he was also digging around with NASA trying to get more information on the space program. You know, these movies that we have today, they show the president getting walked through Area 51 and he's like, oh, wow, this is really going on. Well, the president isn't at the highest security clearance at all times. And JFK, this is proof of it. JFK started to learn things. Questions began to be raised 
And so he demands to be shown these documents. And the secret memo is one of two letters, which was written by JFK, asking for the information about the paranormal topics. And one of them is November 12th, 1963. And the CIA has finally released these documents. But as we talked about previously with Michael Herr, I believe it was Michael Herr, we talked about when a document gets declassified, you can you can download it. You can go to the government websites and download it, but it's got all these blacked out spaces. So you're only going to get a little bit of information because they're going to black out anything they don't want you to see. So it's really not declassified. They say it's declassified, but it's not. But author William Lester, author William Lester said the CIA released the documents to him under the Freedom of Information Act after he made a request while researching his book, A Celebration of Freedom, JFK and the New Frontier. So this is a JFK researcher. He's the one that filed for these these documents to be released under the Freedom of Information Act. And the president's interest in the UFOs shortly before his death is likely to fuel conspiracy theories. That's what AOL News said. They said, well, obviously, this is going to fuel the conspiracy theories. There are alien researchers who are saying that the latest documents that were released by the CIA only add weight to the suggestion that the president could have been shot to keep him from discovering and broadcasting the truth about UFOs mm-hmm. and the alien agenda. Well, in the document that was dated November 12th in 1963, it really intrigued me. And because when Kennedy wrote this, he said that he had discussed this with this person that their name is blacked out previously and that he has instructed a man by the name of James Webb to develop a program with the Soviet Union. And we know that during those times, things were strained between the U.S., the Soviet Union, and Cuba. And in a joint, they wanted to um, develop a program that was a joint space and lunar exploration. But what Kennedy wanted to have disclosed was papers that would expose the aliens, the UFOs, everything. But the biggest thing is he wanted to know what the high threat cases were so that uh, have them identified so that they would know which way to go on that. And that tells me right there that there have been incidences throughout history that the government was made aware of or were aware of that ordinary people, the citizens, were not aware of. You don't use high-threat cases lightly. That means that there had been some damage done, there had been some interference, and it was not benevolent but malevolent. Yeah, and really, uh, one of the things that I found, and, and I can't find this right now, but I'll just tell you what I read. Uh, I saw a document, and there's talk about JFK. Also, part of his concern was going back to the Battle of Los Angeles and talking about the things that happened there. He just he, he tried to dig a little bit too deep, and he JFK was one of those presidents, whether you liked him or not. You know, despite the fact that he came from a mafia family, but what I do know is that the Kennedys, even his family did not support how open and bold he was to talk about things publicly because many of them are part of secret societies. And JFK is on record, that he's even written it out in other letters, that he was going to be releasing information about secret societies. Now, the most yes. plausible situation that we can see here is that this was going to be a ground-shaking speech 
that Kennedy was going to make. And that he was not just going to talk about the secret societies and how they control the government, but he was also going to release the fact that there's cover-ups involving the space program and NASA. Exactly. And he had a very short time frame for this information to be gathered and given to him because this letter was written on November the 12th, 1963, and he wanted all of the information handed to him no later than February 1st, 1964. Now, the only one that I know of in his family that had any support in in his dealings like this was Bobby. And when Bobby got close to winning the election, he was taken out also. And you see the Kennedys that are still in power today, you know, they're obviously completely in the pocket of the Illuminati. Yes. There's no question about it. And I mean, we don't, goodness, I would love to just go into some of the secret society connections, but, (laughs) you know, obviously we have to keep moving. Um, but, but the point, and this is just kind of a little tidbit I want to throw in there because this takes us right back to JFK knew there were things going on. He knew there were cover-ups and he was trying to get this stuff released to the public because even the UK, the, the, the UK has released classified UFO files to their public. Now, are they telling them the truth or are they trying to sell the agenda to them? We don't know all the details, but it's just interesting because now more things are being declassified and it's not beyond the governments to lie in their declassifications because they want they, they want their alien agenda sold to the world. But Kennedy, right. 10 days later, he's gone, knocked out, taken out of the picture. Completely. Yeah, I mean, uh, undoubtedly. And, and if you notice, looking back, and I know that we're not going to stay on the Kennedy topic, but when you look at the overall life of the Kennedy family, so many of them have met with untimely death. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's believe they have a curse on them, but rather than a curse, I believe it's for what they know. And, and really, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy was really the guy who... He wanted the American people to learn the truth about how things were working because we've always been taught how the government works in school. We've always been taught this is how the government works. This is how voting works. This is how the system of justice works. You know, but the fact is we're taught a total lie and a total fraud of how the system really works. And Kennedy was coming out saying, look, we're going to release some of this information to the public once he's able to get his hands on it. But he was taken out. And you did a great show with John B. Wells about the Kennedy assassination. And listen, folks, if you have not heard John B. Wells on Deception Detection Radio. Go on over to Spreaker, Deception Detection, look it up, and they did an amazing show on on Kennedy, and they did it, it was an anniversary show. So definitely go check that out. We don't have time to get into all those details right now. And the research is linking back to a small militia that took him out. It was a small group of people working together as a team, and one of the gunmen, that's right, I said one of the gunmen, is directly linked to being George Herbert Walker Bush. That's W's father. And after this all took place, he's given all these great positions in the CIA and the government. And before you know it, he's in the White House as a vice president. And then he's president. So there are many links between him, between Bush, between uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson and Richard Milhouse Nixon. Yep. You will be very shocked if you get in and research all of this information, the light bulbs will just start going off. But okay, we, we really got to move on. 
Um, I want to I want to go ahead and just talk about this this picture that I found uh, before we go any further. You know, we have a lot of these elongated skulls. We see them showing up all over the world. They're clearly Nephilim skulls. Uh, we've talked in past shows about how many of them have detachable jaw bones, the same that you would find with a snake, even more specifically a viper. So we're seeing we're seeing reptilian qualities even in the skulls of these Nephilim. Many of the skulls are popping up all over the place. And, you know, there's been so many artist renditions where they've, they've taken these skulls, they've done three-dimensional modeling, and then they've added the skin and the eyes and the hair to kind of give it, to, to, trying to help us have a better idea or a better understanding of what the Nephilim would have really looked like. And what we end up with is, is very uh, inaccurate depictions because the flesh would not have filled up that skull in the manner that it looks. You know, the way the artists are depicting it would not have actually filled that skull out when the flesh and the eyes and all that were added. So I just I stumbled across this picture. I say by accident, but really, I don't think it was an accident. I think it was meant to be that I found this and I don't have the artist's name. I'm doing a little homework on it to try to get more details, but he's taken the elongated skull and he's done a beautiful rendition. When I say beautiful, I don't mean it's uh, it's not attractive to look at, but he's done a phenomenal job. And I mean, what we're dealing with here is what would appear to be a alien. I mean, we're not dealing with these down the line Nephilim like Goliath or anything like that. But we really even today, we don't know what Goliath would have looked like. All we do, you know, we try to rationalize what these giants really looked like. But what this guy did was he went through and he did digital modeling around this thing. And it's like a gray alien. The skull of the Nephilim is like perfect match. The way the nose is, the way the eyes are, the way the mandible, it all lines up with the way that a gray alien looks. And I'd never connected these dots. Some of you are listening and you're like, oh, okay, well, good. You're finally getting it, Justin. Well, okay, that's cool. Maybe you're ahead of me on this. But seeing this picture totally changed my perspective on the way a Nephilim would have looked, at least early in the gene pool. The picture's absolutely amazing. And it, the easiest way to describe it to people is if you've ever watched a forensic show and they have found the skull of someone and they need to make a composite so that they can put it up and look for whoever may know this person, they can take the skull and mold around it to give you the idea of what that person would have looked like with flesh. And that is exactly what this artist has done. And it's, it's amazing. And when you look at it, you can tell that this skull was not done by boarding. And that is the ancient ritual that they did in South America where they would take babies and they would take a board and they still do it in some locations. And they would wrap the baby's skull against a board so that their skull would grow in an elongated manner. And you can tell by looking at the skull and the artist's rendition, these were not created by boarding. These are done naturally. Man had no influence on the way that that skull developed. No, and also the, the jawbone, uh, and that's, that's like the telltale yes. sign when you go to the jawbones. But what's really amazing about this particular artist depiction is that we're dealing with eye sockets. You know, that's that's the biggest thing that just always shoots it down is when you look at these artist rendition of the Nephilim because they're not even they don't even want to use the name Nephilim. A lot of these we're dealing with people who are in the mainstream. 
and they're saying, okay, well, we've got elongated skulls, and this is what these elongated skull people would have looked like in ancient whatever, wherever the, mm-hmm. the location. And what you end up with is you end up with what looks like an Egyptian, basically a human Egyptian, you know, that's taking the hat off, and their head would have filled the whole hat. That's just not historically accurate. And so what this guy did, I mean, the eye holes are so big. The eye sockets are so big. The nose, even the shaping of the nose. I mean, this guy nailed it. And matter of fact, I'm going to post this picture on my Facebook wall and I'll post it also on the wall on the fourth watch Facebook page. Because when you see this, it's just, it's mind blowing. It's like the light bulb goes off. I totally get it. Now, when you get down to it with the Nephilim bloodlines, you're going to see a progression taking place as the bloodlines get more watered down, more watered down. Because now you're dealing with this reptilian, alien, fallen angel hybrid that's now getting more inbred with mammals, humans. And so what you're going to get, the the, the closer you get to the human uh, genome, you're going to start having more human features. And this goes right back to what Gary Wayne and I have talked about with the Nephilim nobility, because you've got pedigrees. And really, in order for things to work in their deception, they have to get more and more close to the human genome and their bloodlines so that they can have their elected officials, or we'll just say assumed elected officials. The people who are the faces of the Illuminati, who speak to the masses, who hold uh, positions of leadership in office, they've got to look like normal humans. And I'm not saying that every single one of them is a Nephilim, but I'm just making the point that there are modern-day Nephilim descendants who are in power. This is huge. If you've never heard the show that I did with Gary Wayne on the Genesis 6 Conspiracy I did a trilogy called The Nephilim Conspiracy, got into that pretty heavily. Definitely go check that out. But the idea is still that you're going to have closer to an angelic hybrid in the first four to five generations. And then you're going to start getting into more of a human-looking giant the further down you get. And some people even believe that some of the early generations of Nephilim could have shape-shifted. You know, these are things that we really, we have to be very careful treading on these topics but I know that BDK and I both agree, we believe that the Nephilim, all the way up into a certain generation, would be able to experience interdimensional or extra-dimensional travel. It's true, because they would be fallen angels. Exactly. So, now, I know we've got a few more things to cover, but uh, I will be posting this picture on my Facebook wall and on the Fourth Watch wall. You'll definitely want to check it out. It's, it's, just, it's mind-blowing because you see it, it all lines up, and it paints a picture in such a realistic format. A very interesting so glad I ran across this. But now, okay, you have done some research, and this will this will kind of move us into our last segment of the show. You've done some research on UFOs showing up at these major disasters where there's a large loss of life. That I had never, ever given any thought to before until I started reading up on Chernobyl and saw some videos from Fukushima. And the first one I'll talk about is Chernobyl. Uh, when that took place, there were such high readings of radiation levels and points to where it could explode. But these UFOs made themselves known within hours of the Fukushima disaster. And the numbers kept going up and up and up. And it hit about 3,000. And that's the point where it could explode. And there were witnesses to this going on. I don't know how far back they were. I don't know if I would have been standing anywhere close to Chernobyl. 
but they saw these beams of, again, these red lights that came out of the craft and down into that building, and it lasted for about three minutes. And then they disappeared, and they took another reading, and the levels had dropped from over 3,000 to under 800, and that was enough to settle it so that they didn't have to worry about it exploding. And many people believe that they were there just exactly for that reason. There was a photographer who made the trip there, but they didn't say exactly how long it had been. But there was a hole in the roof, and the photographer wanted to get a picture aiming up through the roof to show what it was like, because you've got the blue sky And then underneath it, you're standing in this building that had just had such a tragic and horrific event happen. So it was like showing the two different sides together. And when Mm. he took the photo through this hole, he didn't see anything. But upon developing the film, there was a UFO that was there. He was able to see it, but it didn't appear anywhere to him. He didn't see it until the film was developed. It's possible because we're dealing with extra dimensional vehicles here that it had moved so fast that it was just that the luck of the draw that he picked up that one frame of it being in our dimension. Or it's possible that it's, you know, the the camera, there's been so many reports of cameras picking up paranormal activity that the eye can't see. So Mm -hmm. very interesting stuff. We know that there was a large loss of life there's something there's still people dying from it. There are. And, you know, one thing that sticks out to me is that, you know, what is nuclear energy anyway? I mean, yeah, we could we could break down exactly what it is. But, you know, th- a guy was not just sitting around one day and said, oh, I think I'm going to access nuclear energy. I mean, <laughs> you don't just scratch your head while you're eating your Cheerios and decide you're going to make nuclear energy. No. And it's very possible that there could be there are reports that people who have been near some of these these UFOs and things like that that our bodies were not meant to be around them. They put off certain radiation. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there may be a connection between nuclear energy and UFOs. You know, this is, uh, the verdict is out, in my opinion, as to that. But it's interesting that the UFOs would have interacted in a way to keep it from getting worse. It is. It makes you stop and think. There was also the Three Mile Island incident that happened on U.S. soil, and people weren't even told when that event happened. But there were people that were showing up that had skin blisters, like they'd been out in the sun too long. And they weren't aware of what was going on. And, I mean, there's one report that talks about a family that they knew something was up but not what. And they left a 50-pound bag of dog food in their garage, plenty of water. And I don't know why they did this, but they left the dog behind. They came back a week or two later, and the dog had died. And the pets on the farm, the cats had all died but one of them. And by that time, of course, it was out what was going on at Three Mile Island. But UFOs were also sighted there. They were sighted in Fukushima. And this is the one that really got me because I've seen the videos of it. And there were UFOs that were hanging around Fukushima before the earthquake and it was just strange the way they were there and then when the earthquake hit and the tsunami hit 
you can see these UFOs coming in. I mean, they're flying. You can tell they're not part of the water. And they're flying in over the water. They're moving quicker than the water. And people were able to get close enough. You could see these UFOs going in between places with precision and hovering. And some of them reminded me more of orbs than UFOs. But there had been at least six UFOs sighted in different formations above Fukushima before the earthquake hit. Well, the orbs, though, that's that's interesting because I think it was so many years back, there was a guy who made national news. It originally started off as a local news broadcast, but it got it just it went viral. And there was a guy who called himself the Yahweh prophet. Now, we know that he was mm-hmm. not a he was not a prophet of Yahweh um, because God is never going to allow somebody to take glory for performing signs and wonders. And that's what was going on here. This guy, he'd get out to this big park where there was a lot of people and he would go through this chant, some kind of a ritual, and he would call down what they called UFOs. But when they were picked up on camera, they looked like jellyfish orbs. I've used that terminology before because when you look at a jellyfish in a tank, the way that it moves, the way that it kind of transforms and moves around, that's very much how some of these orbs look when they manifest. And interestingly, you know, there's different types of orbs. You're going to see orbs showing up in camera, like like a, a still photo. And there's a lot of debate as to what's a lens flare and what's an orb. I think that you can tell mm-hmm. the real difference in, in many situations. Obviously, an orb is going to look different than a lens flare. But still, when you catch video of these things, and, and there's tons of good videos of orbs, they literally look like a jellyfish kind of morphing around in the sky. And a lot of times you're going to see them showing up in a school, like a school of jellyfish. There's like a school of these orbs moving around. Mm -hmm. Now, I saw orbs when I was 18 years old. Where I lived, it was almost a hotbed for different activities. And I had a perfect view from my bedroom window, and I could see probably at least five to ten miles of open sky. And this happened, it was probably about five miles out, but there were four different orbs and they were close to the radio tower in town and they were just dancing. Yep. And I actually, I was 18. I went over and woke my mom up to have her look so I'd have a witness. And we never did figure out for a long time. I thought that it was the ball lightning that goes in between the cattle's horns and this and that, primarily seen in Texas. And that didn't make any sense to me until until quite a few years later I read about the orbs. But they're very, very strange. They're very unique. And that's what this reminded me of. It was just one of them. Well, the orbs also, I'll make this last comment on the orbs, but orbs also show up as satanic rituals. There's tons of types of rituals where people record that the orbs start to show up. They start off as an orb and they might shape into something else. But regardless, it's almost like the form that it takes. I don't think an orb and a UFO are the same thing, although many people will say, oh, well, he called down UFOs. He really called down orbs. So I tend to believe that with an orb, you're dealing with an actual demonic manifestation of a spirit that's trying to cross over and manifest in a physical form into our dimension. I agree. And, and, and I'm not saying a human spirit, folks. I'm talking, you know my stance. If you've been listening to The Fourth Watch for the past couple of years, you know when I say a spirit, I'm dealing with a demon, a disembodied soul 
of a Nephilim. And I'm right there with you on that too, Justin. It's not a fallen angel. Yeah, could, a, could a fallen angel appear to be an orb? Oh, yeah. Uh, goodness gracious, a fallen angel could appear to be uh, anything it wanted to practically. They're shapeshifters. They can look like a man. They can look like a woman. They can look like anything they want to appear to look like to further their deception. And there were just two more quick ones that I wanted to bring up. And these can be looked up. There are photos. There were UFOs sighted at 9-11 when the Twin Towers came down. No, I, I, I did hear about this, uh, and I'd seen some pretty pretty interesting videos as well on the topic. Yeah, it's amazing because sometimes these UFOs show up right before something's going to happen or during, but these UFOs showed up while this was going on. You can see them in the video, and the towers are blazing, and they're fully engulfed, and then it's not too long until they come down. Also, the Challenger explosion, when that went up, there were UFOs sighted around that, too. Now, both of these events, 9-11 and the Challenger, the fourth watch takes a stance that both of them were inside jobs. The research has been done. We believe that they were Illuminati mass sacrifices. Let me say that again. We believe at the fourth watch, and I know many of you believe this, some of you have probably never heard this idea, but... It's, it's our belief that 9-11 and the Challenger explosion were inside jobs carried out by the Illuminati, the global elite, many of which are working inside of our government and being controlled. Uh, I mean, again, we don't have time to go into all this right now, but some of you are new listeners and you haven't heard some of the exposés we've done on the Illuminati in the past, but the Illuminati is global. They control the governments of the world and then the governments of the world who don't submit They're the governments who we all go to war with and we kick them out of power. Anytime there's a giant war, it's generally the Illuminati versus whoever doesn't submit. That's that's world wars for you right there, folks. You can find this out for yourself. It's not hard to look into this. But Challenger and 9-11, two major events, major tragedy, where there was blood rituals, blood sacrifices took place. So it doesn't surprise me that there would be demonic manifestations of orbs or UFOs at these sites. No, and also with natural events, although we do have heart that makes us wonder how many natural events we really have that are are so severe, whether they're caused by harp or whether they are from nature. But down in Florida, right before Hurricane Irene, There were these UFOs sighted in Florida, and there were seven of them, and they actually shaped a cross. And there are photos of these online, too, that you can look up. But it was just a few days before Hurricane Irene went through there. There are so many UFO links to what's going on now, and there has been such an increase, especially over the last six years, some people believe that it's the UFOs keeping an eye on Earth to make sure that it's almost like we're being babysat. But other ones hold the belief that I do and you do that there's an increase because they're wanting us to accept the great deception. And that's part and that's of it. That's where I lean. That's part of it right there. I mean, really, we're going to be seeing more of them being unveiled in our time because of the deception, because of the alien agenda preparing the way for, for Antichrist. 
But really, I mean, we're dealing with fallen angels. At its core, we're dealing with fallen angels. And so with that being the case, some of the fallen angels are called watchers mm-hmm. because they watch. Uh, the show that I just did a couple of weeks back with Michael Heiser, uh, we even got into the, where the, the idea of principalities came from. They were fallen angels who were set up as watchers. They were set up as watchmen or principalities to keep an eye over certain areas. And they started to get worshipped by the people and they accepted the worship. They rebelled on earth after they were given positions of leadership by God. And we see this through the language of the Old Testament. Very interesting stuff. Paul knew about it. Paul was referring back to that when he wrote about powers and principalities. So they're watchers. They're here. They've got access to multiple dimensions. They've got access to the, I mean, goodness, we could, we could really go into details into this. And I know that wasn't the purpose of tonight's discussion, but it's all making sense. We're seeing more and more things happen. Even uh, I read reports back of uh, 1947, 1948, 1949, 1950, an influx of UFO activity over the redefined Israel. You know, and, and we, if we do our research, I've said this before, and I know some of you get very upset with me when I say this, but the Rothschild, satanic Red Star family, the Rothschilds, they had their hand in creating the 1948 Israel. This is historic. Don't shoot me for being the messenger. Just go look into this. The Rothschild banking family, the Illuminati family, communist Illuminati, satanic, demonic family, Rothschild, which is probably a household name for most of you at this point, they were the biggest hand in setting up the redefined, reestablished Israel in 48. You don't believe me? Even if you go visit Israel and you go visit their uh, their Supreme Court buildings and whatnot, you're going to see symbolism and plaques, Masonic and Illuminati all over the place. Because in the founding of the nation in 48, it was done by the Illuminati. I'm sorry if you don't like me saying that, but this is history. This is history. It just goes right back to the idea that when that happened, there were things happening in the spirit realm. There were things happening with UFOs and orbs that were showing up all over the place in those years, 47 through 50 and even beyond. But there was the influx, if I'm not mistaken, it was between 47 and 50 where there was a lot of crazy UFO activity over there. I never want to make people get upset with me, but when I when I break something like that out, when I mention the founding of Israel in 1948, it's not to create division. It's just to make a reference to history that has been recorded. So, and, and there's not multiple versions of this history. There's just the history of it. It's out there. It's public knowledge. So just want to throw that out there. Every time I mention something about that, there's always somebody that gets their feelings hurt and they think I'm making an anti-Israel comment or something, but I'm not. I'm just quoting history. Face gets blown up. It does. It does. And, and, you know, even, even covering topics like we're talking about tonight, some of the stuff we talked about, even with Kennedy, some people just get uncomfortable and they just don't want to accept any of this information. And rather than looking into it, they just would rather live in denial. I found that with some of the most innocent of all topics, that there is always someone that will disagree and speak out. And it, it's not going to matter what you post. You're always going to get someone that gives you something negative. It's true. And when it's the truth, all we can do is pray everyone will understand where you're coming from and that you're only exposing the truth. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's why sometimes I'll say this is my opinion. This is my theory or even this is my speculation. But history is history. The facts are the facts. 
Mm-hmm. And it's important that as a teacher of the word of God, for credibility's sake, and even for the accountability of it all, if we have an opinion of something, then we'll state this is our opinion. But if there's a fact that we can historically document, we're going to tell you this is what happened. You go find out for yourself. Some people feel like they need to have a pacifier. And I don't mean like a baby, but really a pacifier. If you just look up the definition, it's something that pacifies you. It relaxes you. It gives you hope. It's comforting. King David in his older years, if you want to use a similar understanding of the word pacify, he was pacified per se when they brought in that young woman for him to be comforted in her bosom. Yes. It was not a sexual statement. It was the fact that he was getting older in age. His health was not good. And they wanted him to be as comfortable as possible in his state of life that he was in. So they brought in a young woman, probably very fair to look upon, and he was able to cuddle in her bosom to comfort him. He was pacified. It's not wrong to be pacified sometimes, but there are some times when you don't need to be pacified. And we're living in a time where it's so important that we're not pacified when there's deception involved. There's a big difference between being pacified and being a pacifist. Yes. But when I say pacified, I don't mean a baby, like you're a baby that has to put something in your mouth. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm just making the point that some people aren't ready to accept all the truth. And I get it because really the waking up process for some people has to take time. And I know I'm about to speak to somebody right now because you've got friends out there, you've got family members, maybe your pastor, and they're starting to wake up to some things, but it's it's not happening as fast as you would like it to. Well, I got news for you, and I say this in love. It's not up to you to decide on their timeline of waking up. Mm -hmm. I struggled with this myself, and I still struggle with it with certain people. They're, They're waking up, but it's just not happening as fast as I'd like it to. But everyone's in a different place in life. Everyone's in a different place in their spiritual walk. We have to just continue to pray for people. Bring the information. And, and, you know, the other thing is praying about when is the right time to deliver the information. It's not just about you coming out and saying A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's not always the right time or the place to bring the information that you have. Just because you know it doesn't mean that you have to blast it on a megaphone everywhere you go. This is where you have to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. People come to the fourth watch because they want to hear truth. And they want to hear some commentary, obviously, because uh, I, <laughs> I give quite a bit of it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but really, people come because they want to hear truth and they want to hear the perspective that I have on these things and the, the perspectives of the guests that I have on the show. And so when you're listening, you're coming knowing that you're probably going to get an information overload. But mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it's not always an information overload, but you have to really be sensitive to other people and how you share the information and when you share it. Most definitely. So a lot of stuff's going on. We're seeing historically, even when you go back thousands of years ago, you're going to see that UFOs were used by the fallen angels in their deception of all these other men and women who didn't follow Yahweh. They were seeing signs and wonders. They were seeing miracles done by these fallen angels. They were seeing these spacecrafts come down. They were seeing technology introduced into their culture. And that was part of their deception. That was part of the early alien deception. So, I mean, this stuff's been going on for thousands of years. It's mind-blowing when we start digging in deeper. And what's what's great about this topic is that it really doesn't get old because the more we research, the more we're going to learn. More historical references, more artifacts. And it's just, it, I love bringing this out because it really does tie us back into a biblical worldview. It does. And it's been used for so long, as you said, that, Even some of my research, I'd found that 
they tried to say that the cloud that was over the people on their journey to the promised land with Moses, that that cloud that lit up the sky at night and lit their way, they tried to say that that was a UFO. I've heard that, and I've also I've also read the claim in a New Age magic manual. I've told the story when I was over at one of my old boss's houses years ago. He was a practicing witch who used to be Lutheran, and mm-hmm. he he converted to witchcraft. That's that's a whole other story. But he had a book. I was flipping through one of his books, and this was years ago, but it was a book on dragons and how dragons don't always physically manifest, but they're always there. And they're, they're extra dimensional, basically. Sometimes you'll see it, sometimes you won't. But according to this, this New Age doctrine, they believe that one of the dragons, and there's only so many dragons, and, and again, I believe that the dragons are the fallen angels. Very, mm-hmm. very likely. Manifesting is a certain form. But regardless, they propose in their New Age book that one of the dragons was actually what led the children of Israel through the Exodus. So there's all different. There's all types of new age views that are going to try to defer us from what the Bible teaches. Yes. And but what we have to realize is that the Bible tells us what we need to know. Certain things in the Bible, if we go back to the original language, we will have a fuller understanding of the passage, a fuller understanding of the context, and there's going to be tons of counterfeits that come out and try to disprove what the Bible says, but that's all the work of the enemy. So that's why it's so important that we have a grounded foundation in the word of God. That is the most important part of your life is to grow on the word of God. That's the foundation. If if something contradicts the word of God, well, then you know that that something is false. Yes, you and I both have the same view that the Bible, that is the final say-so. The Bible tells us what we need to know about the most important thing in the world, and that is about our call to be reconnected with God. And I say reconnected because... We have to be reconciled. The word, the Bible actually uses the terminology reconciled. We have to be reconciled as mankind. See, because when man was first created, there was no sin in the world. But once the sin entered into the world, there had to be propitiation met. Sacrifice had to be made. And you'll even find out that the first sacrifice took place in the garden or around the garden. Because yes. after Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord provided for them animal skins to wear to cover up their private parts, which means the Lord sacrificed animals to pay for their sin, and then he provided the animal skin to cover their bodies. Sacrifices always had to be made. Even well, last week I talked about Job. Sacrifice had to be made. Job went out to sanctify his children who were in rebellion by sacrificing. And what's interesting is Job, that's one of the oldest stories that the manuscripts of Job is the oldest dated manuscripts, according to scholars, that we have. And there's some other interesting things about Job, uh, the land of Uz. Many people believe that to be historically the island of Atlantis. Now, if there's any truth to this, the island of Atlantis historically was ruled by a fallen angel named Poseidon. And it was a massive place of commerce and economy, of technology. And it was an island that at one point was on a map. We broke this down with the show with Gary Wayne. You know, I don't get too deep into the Atlantis talk. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. I'll I'll probably break it down further in another show as it does correlate with certain topics we study. But the Job situation, the whole point of that was he had to make sacrifice for the sins of his children to put away their sin or to eschew their sin or to eschew their evil. So 
anyway, just a little tidbit. I know we've gone on a tangent. We've, we've kind of gone overboard on the time. But wow, what what an interesting discussion tonight, Kay. Um, I always love getting into this because it really does just bring back that supernatural perspective of the spirit realm, or as Michael Heiser calls it, the unseen realm. And uh, man, so much to talk about. We could, we could just we could talk about this all night. And the more we dig, the more we're gonna find. So exactly, th- those th- tentacles just reach and reach and reach. But there's only so much we can cover in a show because we want to make sure that that you're able to digest it and also research it and not get overloaded. So uh, with that said, Kay, is there anything you want to add in closing before we go ahead and, and wrap this up tonight? I think we pretty much covered everything that we'd intended to. I just appreciate you having me on and all the listeners tuning in. And I love you, Justin, and I love our listeners. Well, I love you too, Kay. And uh, well, you know, you're one of my dearest friends. And uh, I know I tell you that every time we talk. But uh, you, you really are. And uh, God really blessed me with it just majorly when he brought us together uh, just as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's always a pleasure and a blessing. And uh, I'm really excited about Remnant Revolution TV, having you on board on our team with Chad Riley and uh, my co-host BDK. And technically, I'll be his co-host. So it's not about me or him. It's just he'll be my co-host. I'll be his co-host. And, uh, and you guys are going to be helping us with the research going through and, and really kind of fine tooth combing the research and, uh, helping us really make those final decisions on what we're going to talk about. And you'll be doing some field correspondent reporting. So we're really excited. Great things are coming, uh, for the fourth watch radio network. And man, it's just such an awesome time to be alive. Isn't it? I'm so excited to get to work with my Christian brothers and, you know, sometime we'll need to take the time and, and fill our listeners in exactly the way God moves as far as how you and I got to know each other, because that's supernatural in itself. That is. But, that is. Well, the same thing with BDK, the way that I got connected with you and BDK and Chad Riley. Uh, it's just it's God's hand. When God moves his hand to do his work, there is nothing in the world, nothing in the galaxy Nothing that ever was or will ever be that could stop his hand working his will. Our God will move mountains to have his will fulfilled. Amen. I just want to say that as we go out. Because you can look at all of us that are going to be on the remnant revolution, plus some of the others that we know. And it was God's hand that moved us all together. Yep. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. You know, it's all for his glory. It is... I've said this before. I'm just going to say this. This is the last thing I'm going to say before we before we tie it down. The fourth watch is it's, it's multifold. You see, the most important thing about this show is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, because there's people who are going to be listening who don't know Jesus. They do not know Yeshua, our Savior. And so that's the most important thing is sharing the gospel and glorifying God. Also, other aspects of the Bible where it tells us to expose the wicked works of darkness, to know the schemes of our enemy so that we can be prepared for battle. We have to earnestly contend for the faith. And what's happening right now, we're living in a time where people are not contending for the faith because they're ill-equipped. They don't know the deceptions. Matter of fact, there's Christians in the church who are being sucked into the deceptions. So really, the fourth watch, it's all about glorifying God, sharing the gospel of Christ, exposing evil, edifying the body, teaching and edifying and exhorting with scripture. It's a variety show. And the Fourth Watch Radio Network is a variety network 
that wants to bring Christian broadcasting right to your home, right to your car, wherever it is that you're going to be listening or watching. That's what it's all about is bringing it to you so that you can be equipped in these last days, all while we glorify the Lord together and grow as the body of Christ, operating as many members of the body of Christ. It's very possible that in our lifetime, churches will have to be meeting in homes, real churches, not these state-funded megachurches. I believe it's possible we'll have to start meeting underground in our lifetime. I don't know. We don't know how much time we have. But even furthermore, none of us individually know how much time we have. No man is promised tomorrow. You've got to make your life all about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Kingdom living. Kingdom work. Building with what the Lord has given you so that you can further the gospel. Seeking first the kingdom of God. And when you seek first that kingdom of God, all the things you need will be provided. Or as the King James says, all these things will be added unto you. So Kay Carswell, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much again for coming on the fourth watch. Just have a blessed night. Looking forward to talking to you real soon. Sounds good. Love you, Justin. God bless you. And God bless everything that you're doing with the fourth watch. Good night. Good night, everyone. God bless you. God bless you too, Kay. Well, that was a lot to think about, and I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. But now I want to move us into some spiritual food as we begin tonight's Bible study segment. I sure am excited to be able to explore the Word of God with you all tonight. Tonight I want to talk about the warrior Jesus who conquered Satan. Sometimes we get into the mundane swing of life and we don't hold on to the supernatural and powerful reality of this. Sure, we believe it as a Bible story or a biblical principle, But tonight I want to proclaim the reality and the weight of this power. Let's remember back where I made the point that the worst fight in the world system would be the fight for one's life. But the fact that Christ has already defeated death, we as Christians also partake in this defeat. So if the most detrimental scenario in this flesh is the fight for one's life, and we've been given the power in Christ to overcome the grave, there's really nothing that can come our way that we have not been fully equipped to fight with Christ on our side. And this really reminds me of the attitude of the Christian martyrs that we hear about. I mean, think about it. Christian martyrs aren't afraid to die. Generally, they will willingly lay down their lives because they refuse to deny Christ, regardless what the cost may be. But tonight, I want to look at the fueling force behind this mindset. And furthermore, we're going to refresh your spirit with encouragement, with joy, and with hope. Because as we will see, when we're partakers in Jesus Christ, we are partakers in his eternal victory over death. We are partakers in the victory over the devil and all of his forces of darkness. So let's go ahead and head over to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. This is going to be our source text for the night. This is what it says. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Praise God. Now let me just break this down. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. The Greek word for partakers is koinoneo, which means to become a sharer or to join with an associate. A good example of this would be a lawyer who just graduated from law school. And as they're seeking a job, they decide they want to work for a firm. So he or she is an individual 
But when they get hired by the law firm, they are now joining with an associate or an association. So they would become a partaker or a koinoneo of the firm or association. So as mankind, we are sharers of flesh and blood, or we've been joined with flesh and blood, or even our spirit has entered into the association of flesh and blood. Now, to understand this fully, we have to understand that our spirit or our soul is not of flesh and blood, but in fact, it's only been joined with flesh and blood. This further helps us understand the war that wages between our spirit man and our flesh, because the two are not one, but our spirit resides in the body of flesh and blood. So because we have been made partakers of flesh and blood, because our spirit has been joined with flesh and blood, because it's been put into these bodies, which will one day die, Christ also became a partaker of the same flesh and blood as he was incarnated into the flesh. And it says he did this for us. He literally stepped out of his heavenly throne to take on flesh for us. But what was the ultimate goal of this act? Well, the passage continues that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Remember earlier in the show tonight we talked about sin entering into the world through Adam and Eve? That's what brought about the physical death of these bodies. Satan knew that God required death for us because of sin. He knew that all died in Adam, and that just became a fact of life. And Satan furthermore knew that men, as long as they remained as they were, were going to die and they were going to go out of God's presence into hell forever. So Satan wants to hang on to men until they die because once they're dead, the opportunity for salvation is gone. So to rip the power of death from Satan's possession, God sent Christ into the world to become flesh. Now, if you have a greater weapon than your enemy, then your enemy's weapon is rendered useless, right? You see, Satan's weapon is death, but eternal life is God's weapon, and with it, Jesus destroyed death. So knowing that sin brought death, and that being partakers of flesh and blood, we would all die eventually, Christ came to destroy the one who had the power of death, the devil. Now the Greek word for destroy is katergeo, and it literally means to abolish, to make idle, to unemploy, to make inoperative. So literally spoken in the Greek, Christ came to deprive Satan's force, to remove Satan's influence, and to abolish Satan's power, completely rendering him absolutely helpless outside of time. The amazing thing that we see here is that it says Christ came to destroy the one who had the power of death. So before Christ came to partake in flesh and blood with us, before he came to deprive Satan of his influence and power, Satan had the power of death, past tense. In the Greek, Satan literally had the power of death as a possession. He owned it. He literally held it in his hand. It was his. But as I said, the beautiful thing we see here is that it was past tense. Once Christ took part in flesh and blood, once he destroyed death, Satan was destroyed and no longer had possession of the power of death. But finishing off the passage, it explains that Christ did all of this in order to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This is pretty straightforward, but the interesting thing is the Greek word translated deliver is apolasso. And this is so awesome, it literally means to release, to set free. So the whole purpose of this, the whole purpose of Christ taking on flesh was so he could defeat death. 
he could render death useless to the Christian. And so he could deliver us. He could release us. He could set us free. Think about an orphan dog that lives in a tiny cage at the animal shelter. It's locked up in a tiny jail cell and truly lives in fear, not knowing what's going on. That's why many of the dogs in the shelter are extremely frail. And that dog is going to be put to sleep if someone doesn't come to rescue it. You ever notice how they use the word rescue in relation to dogs being adopted? And the fact is, they're being rescued from death because they will be put to death if someone doesn't come to adopt them. But then someone comes and adopts the dog and he takes them home to a yard. And as soon as he lets that dog out in the yard, that dog begins to run freely all around the yard with no more restraining cages, no more shackles as it experiences true freedom. That dog was delivered by no stretch of the word. That dog was released from bondage and was set free. That very dog who was once in a cage will no longer live in fear and bondage now that it's been adopted. And this is really a great parallel to the life of a man. You see, before Christ, we're in bondage because of our fear of death, because of our sin. And we're just like that dog in a small cage at the shelter. And that's why man likes to do anything and everything he can do to fill his voids, because his life without Christ ends with death and judgment. And death is an eternal sentence which produces a life of fear and bondage to those people who are not in Christ. That's another reason we see the world operating in such lasciviousness, because they want to live it up now as extreme as possible, because they believe it's all over after this life. But you see, Christ came to deliver us. He came to release us and to set us free from the fear of death, which beforehand had us living in bondage. So how did he do it? He became flesh. He dwelt among us, John 1.1. He lived a sinless life so he could be made sin for us. And in the act of becoming our sin, he would be offered up as the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be made the righteousness of God and him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And because he became flesh and blood, just like us, he was then tempted, just like we are, in all things. But he never sinned once. Hebrews 4.15 And then he laid down his life just for us and was crucified as the spotless, sacrificial Lamb of God. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19 but then he defeated death. He defeated the one who had the power of death as he rose victoriously on the third day. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. But then after spending 40 days on earth teaching and showing people his ways, he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he sent his Holy Spirit to be our comforter and to empower us with all things pertaining to life and godliness. Acts chapter 1, 2 Peter 1, 3. Hallelujah. God is so amazing, ladies and gentlemen. He did all of this for us so that we wouldn't have to live a life of bondage and the fear of death. He did all of this for us so that we could escape the punishment for our sins. He did all of this for us so that we could be made his sons and daughters through adoption as we are washed in the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. 
There is no more fear once we are in Christ, knowing that we don't have to fear death. There's truly nothing that should ever bring fear into the heart of a believer. We are more than conquerors in Him that loved us. Romans 8.37 And we are only able to be more than conquerors in Christ because He became a partaker of flesh and blood to destroy the one who had the power of death. And ladies and gentlemen, Christ is more than a conqueror. He is the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Do you know Him personally? Based on his word, do you walk in fellowship with Christ? Are you guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit? If not, just stay tuned and I'll tell you exactly how today can be your day of salvation in just a minute. I want to encourage you all to just take a moment and thank God for his love for you, which led him to become a partaker of flesh and blood and to lay down his own life so that you could live. Thank him for defeating Satan and removing the power of death from the devil's hands. Pray that your heart would be regularly filled with a lively knowledge of the powerful testimony and miraculous works of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The more you meditate on scripture, ladies and gentlemen, the fresher it will be as you hide it in your hearts. I encourage you to pray for the strength and courage to rebuke all fears that come your way, that you may live freely in Christ Jesus with no bondage whatsoever. And as always, I encourage you to pray for wisdom and discernment as you grow each day in the knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ Yeshua. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of His Word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, Only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. 
I'm so thankful that God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed his sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4, T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network.